This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Hello, my name is Stephanie Preisner and I'm here to tell you about my show, Basically. It's all in the name, really. The show makes things basic for people. We've done episodes about world religions. We've done episodes about COVID. We've done episodes, a lot of episodes about mental health and different aspects of mental health to make things accessible to people. One of the great things about the podcast is that you can contact me and let me know what topics you would like. So have a listen, see if anything tickles your fancy. And if there's something there that you think is missing, Please get in touch with the show. We'll cover the topic and then you can listen to it. We're part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, so you can find us on headstuffpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Hello, you're very welcome to another episode of FNI Rap Chat. Who do we have on the podcast today, Paul? Oh, I could, we have so many people on the podcast today, Paul. We have um, Sean Dunn and we have a co-director with Anna Rogers. Anna Rogers of How to Tell a Secret. A, yes, which is a which which is not a murder mystery film, I might add. No, it is. As I was saying, it is a great title, though. It's very intriguing. It is a artistic feature documentary exploring the idea of HIV disclosure in Ireland mm-hmm. and the stigma that still persists around the topic even though the science has moved on massively and the HIV diagnosis is definitely not what it once was. Absolutely. A fine piece of work that looks really beautiful and really should be seen in the cinema so try to get out to see it. It's out um, at the start of December and it's really worth uh, really worth your time. Yes, they and lo- are releasing it for themselves and it is in a plethora of cinemas across the country so there's no excuse not to see it if you check out their Instagram and their Twitter uh, you'll find it on How to Tell a Secret 2022 and it is yeah as we say in the podcast in the interview um, really should be supporting these kind of films uh, and put your money where your mouth is a little bit and really help support Irish films yeah please do um, in FNI related news we have a really wonderful Christmas party coming up on the 10th of December in Northern Seoul. Um, it's going to be a great night. Um, it's an opportunity to come and network, meet other people that work in film and TV. Um, support, you, you know, by doing so, you support this podcast that helps uh, foster relationships uh, for everybody, really, on the night. Um, and it's going to be a bit of fun. It's supported by the Dublin City Brewing Company, so there'll be a couple of free beers there for people as well. And, um, you know, um, again, just show up. Half of everything is turning up in life. So, you know, you might, who knows? You might meet that screenwriter or that director that's going to change your life forever. Uh, so, yeah, let's go to Sean Dunn and Anna Rogers and hear about the making of How to Tell a Secret.
Hello, you're very welcome to FNI Rap Chat. We are in the studio with Anna Rogers and Sean. How are you doing? Doing very well. Yeah, we're we're great. <laughs> You're, um, very, you're very welcome in. Uh, uh, thanks so much for, for the time. You're in the midst of, we caught you in the middle of doing your kind of press junkets. Is that a bit of a whirlwind around the city? Yeah, it's really actually exciting and lovely to reach that stage where you're getting to talk about the work that you've done together and, you know, the climax of all of that, knowing that it's going to be in the cinemas in just over a week. It's a really kind of buzzy time, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice experience and it's different, like different people have different questions. So we've really been kind of kept in our toes all morning. Yeah, yeah it's been yeah. cool. It makes you kind of reflect on what you've done as well and, and actually have that moment to kind of, you know, take it all in, you know, because sometimes when you're in the middle of making a film, you're kind of you have a lot of doubts, you have a lot of things to organize and you don't get time to step back and think about the impact that the film kind is having. Let's stand back and look at the beauty of it all. Um, it's a little bit like marriage as well. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully not like a divorce. Um, <laughs> so, like, um, maybe tell us about the kind of the the uh, the genesis of the project. Obviously, it was a stage play that you, you'd written. Um, whose idea was it to, to to you know bring it to the cinema, film it, and how did that kind of happen? Yeah, so the theatre project began in two thousand sixteen. Yeah. Um, and it started as a conversation between myself and Robbie Lawler, who's a very prominent HIV activist. Mm. And we had a personal relationship and he was diagnosed HIV positive when he was 21. And I was one of the people that he had to come and talk to about going to get tested. And mm. um, so from there, we just maintained a friendship and a relationship. And I was viewing all of his peer support work that he was doing. And I thought it would make a really interesting documentary theater project. And this was at a point before, you know, you equals you was kind of common knowledge and there was still a lot of secrecy, I think, within the community. Um, so we did that show, it premiered in Dublin Theatre Festival. We did a nationwide tour around Ireland. And one of our final performances in Dublin, um, Anna Rogers from Invisible Thread happened to be in the audience. Yay. <laughs> yeah, serendipitous. Yeah, I actually shouldn't have gone that night, like, because Slata Filipovic, our producer, had two tickets and... And she couldn't come because uh, her child wasn't well. And, and I just went in on my own. And I'm so glad I did because I suppose in, in lots of ways um, it's been quite life changing. And um, funny, like myself and Sean didn't know each other at all. And we embarked on this journey together to, to create a piece of art together, which is an unusual and brave move on both our parts, I think, to, to take on the challenge. But like I feel like we were on this kind of simultaneous path in 2016. I was making a series for RTE called Keeping Ireland Alive and spent some time in HIV clinics and wanted to, to have a HIV story in that, but it didn't quite work out. Um, and I, I thought about making a documentary, like a straight up television documentary at the time, and it didn't get off the ground. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all those years later, then coming to the play, I kind of finally saw something where I went, oh, you know, this is I have unfinished business. With yeah, I have unfinished business with this story, but also like. This is this is the film mm -hmm. that I'm supposed to make, actually. You know, and you just have one of those little kind of epiphany moments as a documentary maker where something kind of grabs you and just says, you know, do do something with this. So, like, I still remember this sounds like we're in love. Like, I remember the moment <laughs> Sean walked out and his face and and his whole kind of naturalistic performance. You know, the thing about Raft is that it feels very real. Mm -hmm. 
And it's very hard to tell who's telling their own story and who is holding someone else's testimony. And when both Sean and Eva Jane come out on stage, I, I really thought they were talking about themselves. And I loved that switch or that kind of like confusion and blurring where you suddenly realize, oh, no, it's not about them. They're actually telling someone else's story. But the, the, the way that they did that through their own, bringing their own kind of person to the, the storytelling, I thought, well, this is something that we could do in documentary that's very different. And I was at a point where I wanted to do something very different because when you're a documentary maker, you sometimes do find yourself always making things in a similar kind of style. Um, so I started doing a bit more a kind of, of prescribed performance based. But, but yeah, yeah. 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 You, you wanted something where you could mix different genres and different That's it, to, to make a hybrid film. Yeah, yeah. So we met up, we had a coffee and we decided to do it together. Like, uh, you know, as two artists coming from different worlds, but with some crossover between how we worked. And there was actually that, like that week there had been a couple of other companies that had approached us about maybe collaborating on an adaptation. But when I met with Anna and Zachary, um, kind of like you were saying in terms of the parallels, we just had so many shared references. There were so many resonances. There was like even people that glad to know that I know. And I felt mm. like it would definitely be a match, you know, and that's hard to kind of tell in a meeting where, you know, you're only there for 20 minutes. But we had a really meaningful conversation and we I clicked. Felt, yeah, we clicked. <laughs> yeah, we married at first sight. Yeah, and I think as well, we wanted to work together. You know, sometimes yeah. you go into someone and saying, I want to make something about you mm-hmm. or I want to option your work and I'll go off and make it and then I'll show it to you when it's finished. Mm-hmm. But Is that it, wasn't what we, we yeah, were going to So it do. seems like it's more of a case. It was more of a case where it's like, how can I assist you in this project as, a, as opposed to how, this is how it should be? How can we work together? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? How can we find a way to... To Cla- merge, collaborate. yeah, merge our practices and do and something. And it looks gorgeous, different. by the way, Eleanor Rollins. Well, that's Eleanor, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. I think the real arts game is quite special for that reason because there isn't really anything else like it. Like, you, it is kind of like whatever you, it does seem like whatever you want to do, and there's so much room to experiment. So, was it very kind of freeing to have that when you were kind of getting the application ready? Yeah, like the Arts Council is amazing from that point of view you know and really the opportunities to make these kind of documentaries are actually getting less and less you know and um, like broadcasters are commissioning less single documentaries so you know from the television perspective it's really hard to get a project like this off the ground and if you're going to a broadcaster and saying hi i want to make like a documentary theater uh hybrid film you're not going to get a commission <laughs> Yeah. yeah and 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 then you're kind of you know creatively forced into telling a story in a very kind of almost like house style or very conventional yeah. style yeah. um so the arts council just lets you explore your work and and uh, find a way to tell a story without editorial kind of input you know it's very hands off you know they give you the grant you go and make your film and they come and watch it at the end but you know you're not getting three or four different rounds of notes which you would get from another kind of funder so that is a very freeing kind of encouraging experience as an artist you know because if that wasn't there you would like the film wouldn't be made yeah yeah like (laughs) could could you tell this subject in a more conventional way or maybe you didn't want to do that is that could we yeah we could have done it in a, yeah. in a more like standard TV yeah. documentary format or a more regular yeah. like yeah. form, one hundred percent. But the Real Art Award is looking at something that's also documenting an artistic practice, mm. 
So that's part of what we've captured. It's the process of translating stories, testimony, mm. news, reenacting them, poem, symbolism. All that stuff is a, is a part of the bed of our film. Um, but so it wouldn't have been made either because mm. we've been pitching this to RTE for a couple of years right. as well, you know, and uh, as a, uh, you know, to make a kind of more standard version of it and it didn't get commissioned. So I even it's very it hard. Yeah, <laughs> I, worked, I worked on a soap and I pitched it and it, did, it was just never, yeah, it didn't be. It's just hard to get these things yeah, off the ground yeah, and, yeah. you know, so hopefully this will be broadcast at some point. Yeah. You know, at the, at the end of the day, you, you can reach a big audience through television still. You know, there are still people watching TV and, and uh, watching it on demand as well on, on playback. And I think that's really important for something like this because it is a national conversation that needs to happen yeah. about HIV. Yeah. So actually getting it out to the type of audiences that might engage with it through television is really important to us. So... You got the fun. Was there is is there interview based? Mm-hmm. Do you have to do? Yeah. Um, you got the fun. Then, what was the like next step? Had you kind of did you feel like you had it, it very much how it was going to be, or was there kind of a uh, a writing stage or a development stage within that? Yeah, there was a development stage where we wanted to kind of go to transcripts like of the, like the play material and see what we wanted to take into the film we were having conversations around new contributors that we could bring into the world obviously who are the other talent that we want to work with in terms of dp editors all that like exciting stuff that helps you kind of as well i think refine your approach because you're tuning into their style and their instinct and that's helping you find your own style especially when there's two directors at the at the helm of a piece you know anything that helps unite us is great um, but we spent a good while, yeah, going back to the transcript, expanding upon our testimonies. Um, and this was all during lockdown as well, it's important to say. So luckily, that kind of expanded that development process for us. It was a while before we began to shoot. Yeah, so it was, it was long. Was <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. Like, you know, we. I think if we had rushed into it, the film would have suffered. Like, we had months of you know, conversations online and, you know, exactly what Sean was saying, going back to the play, figuring out how are we going to capture the play? Mm-hmm. How are we going to transpose it, translate it into cinema? And then how do you move from theatre and drama into documentary and back again, you know, in in the kind of experimental way that we wanted to do? Um, so we had like some films that we had as references that we really loved that had played with performance within a documentary story um and yeah it was like i suppose trying to get to know each other trying to get to know the story and meanwhile we were also doing kind of zoom interviews with people who are living with hiv and recording new testimony that we were going to translate to so we had the the experience and text from the play the new stories that we were also translating to screen um mostly from women and then we also had our real life contributors who, who were going to participate in a documentary way. So it was like a hugely complex story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, the, yeah. The, the kind of working script that we had for it. I wonder if anyone reading it would understand it outside me and Sean. Yeah. We had a secret language. <laughs> um, kind of to understand how this kind of <laughs> coalition worked between you, you two, I'd love to go back a little bit into your individual backgrounds sean kind of how did you we would have done shorts and you were an actor and that kind of thing how did you kind of find your way into and you do a lot of things but into 
this kind of work? Yeah, so I suppose I've always been working in theatre and film since I was a child. Um, my background in like formal education is in journalism. So although I was maybe studying journalism at third level, I was working within the industry in films, in plays, and very quickly developing documentary theatre practice. But I also have a facilitation practice, which means I work very often with community groups, um, and all of those things kind of combine, I suppose, uh, to create the kind of work that I make, those different skills that I have. Um, I suppose I started making films specifically in 2017. And again, it was always about merging my documentary work um, and the kind of like sensibility that I've, that has been in my live work uh, and, and translating it onto the screen. Um, so all of my shorts so far have been kind of like experimental short docs and um, dance films, things that kind of use, I suppose, other languages outside of the conventional documentary languages that we're probably used to. Um, and I describe the practice as like a, a translation of lived experience. So I don't work specifically but verbatim very often. Um, what I do is, is I create the material, it's translated, it's stylized, I bring it back to the participant and then I have an, a, a layer of imagery over that as well. Um, so yeah, I've been working on that, like, I've been working on that my whole life. Right. <laughs> um, but no, that's been my work, but like, I do, I work sometimes as an actor as well. So a lot of my um, kind of practical experience on sets has been as part of other people's projects. So that's been a great learning curve for me as well. And like, when you kind of came across this idea, like, had you thought of this potentially as a film idea or? It's a good question. I, I thought about it when people came to me about it. Right. And I thought about it like as when people had said, you should write a pilot and all that kind of stuff. And there was definitely a, a few different paths and opportunities for an evolution of the work. But ultimately, after doing the theatre project the first time and then doing the tour around Ireland, I was actually a bit done. Right. Yeah, I no, I was. He's I was, well fed up now. No, I was tired, and because it has that personal relationship, yeah. like me and Robbie's relationship is part of the work as well. Intense. I was tired, yeah. and yeah. I, I wouldn't have done it with anyone else because, the, like Anna and Zlata, gave me an energy to look at it again, um, and I felt very much like, okay, this is a, this is you know material that can sometimes feel difficult and a little bit hard to hold, but I'm happy to share it with them. And I feel like I trust that we can do something meaningful with it. And it reinvigorated it first. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's something permanent that's there too, because as you spoke about earlier, theatre is ephemeral. You know, it isn't recorded apart from like maybe just a reference video. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that was so annoying. Yeah. We hated that. Yeah. We were like, we're working on this like theater hybrid piece, and then the pandemic happened, and, and there was loads of people filming, filming theater. theater. Right. Yeah, but it was very, it was yeah. very different. I yeah, mean, our, our, there are some kind of stage moments in the film, but they're few and far between. Like most of the theater moments in the film are actually performed in real life locations. So, mm. it's it's not theater on film, which I think is important for people to realize as well. Like they're not coming to watch a live performance type piece. Sure, it's no, something a bit weirder than that and no, a bit it's different. Gorgeous, it's gorgeous. <laughs> Even some of the transitions in between those moments. That That's our reference. amazing editor, <laughs> Paul Wallace. Yeah. yeah, gorgeous. Uh, and it'd be great to get kind of, I know some of your story. <laughs> uh, Anna was uh, my mentor on the Screen Skills program. Um, so Ireland, I've, but uh, <laughs> I never got the full kind of genesis of how you actually made your way into. Yeah, into documentary. Yeah. 
I, I actually was just thinking there, I started making documentaries in the 90s, which makes me really old. <laughs> Um, started I started young. I was still in college when I made yeah. my first series for RTE and they didn't know that I was a student. We oh, hid wow. that from them. Right. And David Rain from Solshu Films was my producer. So yeah, we go way yeah. back and are, are great friends. Uh, um, the festival. Yeah, Solshu, Solshu Films yeah. Um, that do, do, used to do Gugafa. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but really, my career really started when I worked as a researcher for Alan Gilson. And, and um, Alan taught me a huge amount. Like he took a lot of time out when we were working together to kind of teach me a few kind of really, I suppose, tips and tricks and things that have like really um, that I've kept faith with and that have stuck with me. Um, but the first project that I was a researcher on for him was a, a series in Portran Hospital, um, a psychiatric hospital that was the first time that a crew were allowed inside a hospital of this nature. And we were in there for close to a year, making a four part one hour series. Um, each episode was an hour. Um, and it was a, a baptism by fire. I learned a huge amount about ethics and storytelling and, you know, how to work in kind of very complex ethical space um, when it comes to consent and capacity to give consent. And what it taught me, I suppose, is that actually we all need support to make a decision. Like nobody makes a decision in a vacuum. We all kind of lean on people around us. And it kind of gave me, I suppose, a, a framework going forward. We, we did a series in a hospice as well, in St. Francis Hospice, that like comes back to me so often, you know, memories from working on that. And then I went out on my own a few years later, having done The Yellow Bitter and about uh, Liam Clancy. I think that was the last big project myself and Alan did together, which was amazing. And I have such happy memories from working on that. Yeah, and Liam, Liam was a very special friend to me. And and, um, and yeah, I suppose then after that, like I... I I worked on a lot of LGBTQ work. Um, the first big thing was uh, Growing Up Gay, and that was in uh, 2009, so long before marriage equality. Uh, myself and Aoife Kelleher made a series about being young and gay and lesbian, transgender in Ireland and bisexual. Um, there was a young person in there uh, who, who also told this story about being bisexual. And it was the first time people that young had come out on television. Um, and and I think, you know, when you look at what happened kind of in the years after that, you know, I think they really kind of taught something to the audiences out there. Definitely them sharing their stories contributed towards marriage equality. Absolutely. For sure. Um, but I was playing a lot, with, you know, as, as the years went on, then I was playing a lot with performed reality, like in our film Hold On Tight, which is about holding hands and kissing in public as a gay couple. Um, we got people to perform their own lives in a way. And then we did that again in the story of Yes, which I, I collaborated with my brother, Hugh Rogers, who directed that. Um, we did the same thing because we, we weren't filming everybody in the lead up to marriage equality and the referendum. But when you watch it, you think we were there all, every step of the way. But we reenacted re it. So I think all that kind of started leading towards this work. You know, I was doing dance films. I was doing lots of different experimental kind of things with my work. It wasn't strictly documentary anymore. Mm. Then I saw Sean's short films and I just thought there's something, there's a connection here in, in how we approach things. Yeah. Um, you touched on something there, the idea of informed consent. And I know a lot of the work you've done have been in kind of where people are at difficult moments. How do you navigate that? Yeah. Informed consent is so complex, you know, mm -hmm. and just making sure that 
people are, I suppose, making the right decision for them. Like, I often feel like when I'm asking somebody, do they want to take part in something? I'm almost talking them out. Because <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I do like to lay it all out for them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I hate release forms. I hate asking yeah. someone to sign it. I'm always trying to kind of soften that moment with them because it does feel very legalistic and jarring, really, mm. in a trusting kind of relationship. But, you know, I just make sure that they know what they're getting themselves into. So I you know, would have a very long chat with people about that. And Slata, our producer, w- would do that too, you know, and just make sure that people feel safe and comfortable. But we also look at it as a process over time. You know, it's not like a kind of investigative piece that's going out on air very soon afterwards. It's a long journey that you're going on when you make a film with somebody or even a television documentary. It's probably going to be at least six months, but maybe a few years. And in this case, it was a few years. So you're checking in with people along the way you know, they feel like they're part of it. Like we're we're all in a WhatsApp group, the contributors and us, we're all totally enmeshed, uh, you know, and it's a team, you know, it doesn't have that. This project in particular doesn't really have that same kind of hierarchical structure that a, a film might have where the director is at the helm and, you know, the rest of the team are kind of less involved in the decision making. There's been a lot of shared decision making around you know, lots of aspects of this, hasn't there? Yeah, 100%. I think um, yeah, the people that we're working with are very opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> in the nicest know, possible yeah, way. No, but in a good <laughs> way. Like, I mean, I, I, I love to surround myself with a certain people who aren't afraid to tell me what they think. I'd rather find out directly. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you, know you can be wrong. You yeah, can, you know, yeah. and, um, that's it. Like Robbie, uh, for example, was a part of the process from day one and he would come to tech runs of rappers and he'd be like that needs to be fast or that needs to be yeah you lost right, me there right like could you just say to her to have a think about what she's saying like he'd be giving me like Sack actual <laughs> yeah direct director notes yeah. for the performers yeah and sure. stuff that i would be like tired on so i would maybe be dropping and mm-hmm. um, i feel like yeah that's definitely very true like we're working with artists like veda yeah. is an artist veda has a style yeah so therefore their style and their influence is in the film and like if you if it's a dictatorship and you don't take on board what other people think you're missing out you know like our director of photography you know can bring things to the table if you uh, you know because we allowed her to express herself and our editor we gave him what we wanted but let him come back with his own ideas too and and we got more from that you know and Veda's is the perfect example of it because we had this idea to ask Veda to lip sync the uh, the famous interview from the late late show oh, yeah of Tom McGinty the Dice Man and you know we we thought that was a pretty ambitious idea in and of itself but Veda just brought this whole other layer of you know we didn't have a big budget and you know suddenly there was like a costume designer there was like a painter who's an amazing kind of designer artist who was going to paint on this costume that had been made by the costume designer. Then there was an incredible makeup artist. It suddenly grew and grew. And I was a little bit terrified to think Zlata was looking at the budget and a little bit terrified. But it changed the nature of what we did. And and Veda felt able to express themselves too in, in that scene, which gave them more ownership. And so everybody got more out of that, you know, and I love those scenes. They're amazing. Yeah, I saw the film at the Dr. Ireland Festival and that, I was watching it and I know what the budget is. And I was like, how did they do this? <laughs> how did they set fire to yeah, a car? Yeah, <laughs> like, but like, there's so many scenes. There's so much like, how much did it come down to like planning? And like, did you kind of have to 
storyboard things or how does how did you manage to get the most out of your budget basically? well we didn't pay ourselves very much and that's the truth you know that we put the money on screen mm-hmm. and you you couldn't do it again you know yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like sometimes the project just you know needs that um it's not about money yeah yeah although actually lots of things are about money though (laughs) it's nice to make money but you know I suppose look you've got to find creative ways of doing things myself and Sean really wanted that car scene Mm. from the very beginning didn't we Mm. Sean was saying he knew some people might set fire to a car for us (laughs) 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 and we both lived in the the inner city (laughs) at the time and I actually twice over the period that we were making the film found two burnt out cars outside my house I was like damn why didn't we film that um but we we did want to do it the right way and to do it safely. And we spoke to people to do special effects. But the, the amount that it was going to cost just, I suppose, became less and less likely that we were going to do it, didn't it? And we, we really wanted to do it. So Slata is a, a bit of a wizard. <laughs> and she spoke to the Dublin Fire Brigade who who did it first for an absolute song for a fraction of what and safely, you know, like it. it but if you look at that scene, you think like there's a huge team. That was literally Sean, myself, Eleanor Bowman, Trevor Cunningham on sound and uh, and, and, uh, and the talent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and a couple of fire, fire, uh, firemen. Glad they were there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but in terms of, um, I think, making a work and making the, the film as polished as it does look, I do think. I think Elizabeth Redding Pitcher hired well mm-hmm. and having like Eleanor Bowman who has like you know drama experience and documentary experience mm-hmm. having Paul Mullen who like has an abstract eye who knows how to deal with abstract material mm-hmm. it meant that we could work in that tight time frame because we didn't have a very long edit either um, and considering there was so yeah, many 11 weeks. strands to the edit for a feature film mm-hmm. like it was a big ask and um, obviously then we've got Elizabeth Redding again have great relationships with, our, with the composers that we worked with so all of that kind of united. I don't think I and I don't think everybody can make a film like ours on that budget. No, like a lot of it, it came down to relationships. Like Eugene McChrystal did an amazing grade for us, and Paul Finan did a really creative sound mix. Like that's yeah. not a normal sound mix, right? No, no. But I mean, it, you know, this industry is all about relationships, you know, that kind of way. And but it does come back to that thing that Alan Gilson said to me day one, which is surround yourself with ta- talented people. Yeah, and 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 always just I suppose you looking after your crew because like for crew, you know it is a job and they don't get the they're not doing podcasts. You know what I mean? They're not getting all the the kind of fanfare at the end, yeah. and and sometimes people even forget to mention them or you know yeah. they're just not celebrated in the same way often. And so, mm. you know, it's really important to recognize what they do and what they bring to the table because they're all artists. Like, you know, Trevor Cunningham did a gorgeous job on recording the location sound and like sound can get forgotten as well like in those scenes like we filmed so much of it in slow-mo but the fact that we had sound there like that's just a lovely trick you know because then you have all this real material that if you don't have money to foley or do something in the sound design later like have a good sound recorders there even if it's in slow-mo you know thematically there seems to be an undercurrent about mentors in general Obviously, Robbie mentoring people and, you know, becoming a force point of contact with people who have experienced that firsthand. Mm. How important are mentors to both of you in your lives and related to your work and also personally? 
know, there, great there's question. a question. Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I'm totally, I think that 100% like mentorship, peer support, it's a huge part of the film, like a huge part of community life and the film is about community. Um, I feel like I'm always looking for mentors. Like yeah. I, I love that, like, yeah. like seeing a person that can just help calm you down and guide you in the right direction. Um, I work with some brilliant people in the theatre world who've been amazing mentors for me. Um, you know, Gary Keegan from Broken Talkers works a lot with me dramaturgically on a theatre piece. He would have consulted on that bit and he would have helped me with a lot of the initial visual language that I would have been working with. Um, and then I work with the ARC, um, which is a cultural centre for children, and that's led by Aidan Howard, who is an amazing leader. And I, sometimes I think the mentors can be slightly different to, like, I don't, they're not necessarily film people, mm-hmm. but someone who knows how to lead a room, who knows how to talk to people, who knows how to harness a positive energy. She was an amazing mentor of mine. Um, but yeah. Cross, yeah, like cross, community, cross. you know, having a community, you know, obviously in the HIV world, that community is so important and peer support. But like, you know, I feel like sometimes I joke about as freelancers that we need like a support group or we need counselling, you know, because yeah. it's really tough. And for loads of reasons, we could do a whole podcast about that. But myself and um, Adrian McCarthy and Ross Whitaker, Kim Bartley, Jerry Nelson often talk to each other about what's going on in the industry and how it's affecting us. And I, I value those conversations so much, you know, and when you're going through a tough time, which often happens in the freelance world, because it's so precarious, you know, um, and you can get so many knockbacks. And even though it can appear that you're really successful, like, you know, what's really going on behind the scenes is so tough, like, you know, so, yeah, I really value them because, you know, like there'd be just voice notes to each other or text messages or be in the car. Adrian uh, just produced a series for me about uh, Lady Gregory and we'd have these really long road trips. I'd keep him awake, just yapping in the car. But all of that stuff really helps, you know, because especially as a director, you're usually working alone. Obviously, this experience is quite unusual for me working with Sean. And um, yeah, like you're on your own and directors should talk to each other more because actually what you realize is that we're all experiencing the same things actually as directors for hire or directors trying to get your own work off the ground, you know. It's a a good segue into a question we ask pretty much everyone who comes on the show. Um, How do you deal with rejection? (laughs) You can go first. (laughs) (laughs) Not very well. Um, How do I deal with rejection? God, it's a tough one, isn't it? Like, I think as well, particularly within the film and theatre world, um, it's very label making. You're exposing yourself quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I feel like the festival model isn't the healthiest way to present your work mm-hmm. um, because you're always a part of this catalogue and you're not really getting the space for the work to breathe and you've spent so long trying to give your life that it can feel a little bit suffocating to be a part of these like models that we've built. Um, Is that... Both the best, theater the and best, films, the best, yeah. Bo- both yeah, the theater yeah, and yeah, films. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So I, wor- I, wor- I often worry about like psychologically what we're doing to ourselves by putting our work mm. as part of as much as a professional experience, and yeah. it's great, it's great. Um, but in terms of like rejection, I'm trying to be rejection and positive experience. I'm kind of talking about both things at the same time there. Um, I'm trying to be better at curating my experience (laughs) and you know not putting myself up for awards that don't feel absolutely right so I I don't go for funding anymore unless I'm sure it's 100% the right time Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm trying to just trust that you know work will come and I'll find work as CJ said 
for some people that may explode us. Yeah. But like you know, I think if we put ourselves under a pressure under the pressure to apologize for every single thing that comes, you're going to absolutely run yourself into the ground. You're not going to be well, and your work is going to suffer. Mm. Um. So yeah, that's kind of like I'm just trying to uh, apply that thinking to how I make work, but it doesn't get it doesn't get easier. Like rejection, yeah. criticism, it's always tough. I was just going to say the same thing. It doesn't get easier, you know. And in fact, I think it actually gets harder because the cumulative experience of rejections, you know, it's 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 very frustrating, you know. And it takes years to make a film. So during that time, you know, you you don't have time necessarily to be developing work that's going to come up afterwards. So like that's why the universal income piece was so important. And yet, like so many of us didn't get it, you know, I didn't get it. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's just to have something that's a buffer or or some kind of bursary that doesn't require you to deliver anything to just actually genuinely give you that space to even think about what am I going to do next? Because sometimes people say to you, what, oh, so what's next? And you're kind of going, don't ask me that because it's like the second album question, you know, and and in order to to work out what you're going to do next, you actually need to take a step back and take some time out. But you, d- you financially, if you have family, if you have a mortgage, those kind of things aren't possible. Um, and I, I do think it's very hard to know how to handle it as well. Like for the first time ever, uh, I did, you know, kind of push back a little bit against a, 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 a an idea getting rejected recently. And then you're kind of thinking, oh, that's not the right way to deal with it either, you know, because, you know, it's it's just really hard, you know, and, you know, especially to make your own work, you know, like to, to do something that you really want to do, to make something about something that you care about. Those projects are really few and far between and there's so few outlets for them, you know. Um, you guys took the decision to release this film yourselves. Um, so maybe tell us about that and then that will segue nicely into telling people how they can see the film. He's yeah, so, so I know yeah. it's so structured. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> There's no script. It's yeah, amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, I have seen films in the cinema, Irish films. I love to go out and see Irish films because I think it's really important for us all to go out and support them, you know, and I don't think you really realize how important that is until you actually try to release your own film. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd always thought that they were taken on by a distributor, but I found out, I suppose, that a number of them had been self-released. So. We decided we we're going to release the film ourselves um, we really want this film to be seen. And it isn't just because, you know, it's an important piece of artistic work for us. It's because it is an activist film at the heart of it. And there is something really important in there in terms of the message for society. Um, so, yeah, we started looking into how do we how do you do this? Like uh, we it's hadn't a clue. <laughs> Yeah, like that's what I thought, right? Just go with a hard drive. There you go. No, no, there is so much to it, you know, and it's only once you've kind of started like anything, right? Like the minute you're in it, then you're like, oh, okay, now I know what distributors do because it is really a full time job and not just for one person. It's for two or three people. Um, But we are trying to trying to juggle and do it all ourselves whilst looking after small children and doing our other day jobs as well so there's a lot of uh emailing at like you know quarter to one in the morning but you know schedule sending it for the next day so we we don't look totally insane um thank you for teaching me that john (laughs) uh but yeah like just everything from you know how to market the film and we're working with limelight who are doing pr for us that was the one piece we said okay we need expertise here because we don't 
know how to do that piece. But, you know, getting posters printed and what kind of posters and, you know, just silly little things like how do you make a good trailer? Uh, you know, we're learning it all on the job. And it's it's kind of brilliant to know that you can do it. And it's it's totally possible to do it yourself. The cinemas are amazing. Like they're supporting us so much, telling us, you know, what they need, how to do this, where to get it, you know. Um, I was really surprised that they would engage with us, even like we have amazing support from the IFI, who've always been brilliant. Um, and Sneva in there is a, an old friend and she's fantastic. Um, but the Palace in Galway um, took it on to the gate in Cork. And then we started talking to Omniplex and I thought like Omniplex isn't going to take this real arts film from the Arts Council. And they did. So they're going to show it in Ratmines and in Wexford and in Limerick. And suddenly now it's all over the country. Um, and then the Stella said they'd take it in Ranla as well. So Amazing. that was really surprising. I started off thinking, OK, let's just do Dublin, Cork and Galway. And now suddenly it's Limerick, Wexford and a few places in Dublin in the Lighthouse as well. And the Lighthouse has been great. Uh, can I just say it's a great title? I think it's such a strong title, like very intriguing. Um, and we were just saying we we Paul watched it last night and we were like it's rare that you actually have a film that changes your mind on something like we or we didn't even know every, every know. day is a school day but yeah. speaking for myself <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know that like on a very basic level that you know you could have a child if you had HIV and I was it, it kind of warmed my heart I was like that's incredible it's beautiful that I know that now Mm-hmm. And for that reason alone, it was worth watching. Oh, that's you know? amazing! Yeah, you know, and they're the take they're the takeaways from something like this. You know, yeah, you get educated, you feel empathy, you realize that we're all the same. Yeah, yeah, and it's not just information; it's feeling. It's yeah, yeah. yeah. feel it. You know, so it's and just the impact of like you know the impact of the stigma or the impact of people being, I suppose, ignorant about it. You know, like mm-hmm. that when they've done surveys, you know, they've discovered that a huge amount of people still think things that they used to think in the 80s and you think you know we've moved on from that like people thinking that you can get HIV from kissing and stuff like that you know so it's just so important that people realize like U equals U you know you you can't pass on HIV to a partner when you have sex if you're on a medication so the medication is so effective now Mm -hmm. that you can have a a, a totally Mm -hmm. normal life Mm -hmm. like the same as everybody else and you can't pass it on like doesn't that just take away all of the fear and the stigma you know It should. Yeah. <laughs> it really should, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of crossovers as well. I'm developing something about um, a, a contemporary uh, career uh, on uh, the, the dice game. And uh, I had uh, Pat Tierney, who also had AIDS. In, oh, in yeah. And it was just so beautiful to see things so eloquently put. And, and, and I remember and seeing mind, footage know, of he, him, yeah. Yeah, so he was, uh, yeah. Amazing story. So powerful. And, and there were so few those people, right? Oh, like absolutely. He was an AIDS advocate, you know. At a time when it was so like hard to be. Like again, with the dice game plays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those street performers as well. So it's it's incredible to see a piece of work hit a lot of those marks, you know. So it's 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 really excellent. It's well done. Thank you. Um, yeah, so where can people see the film? So the film is being released on December 1st, World AIDS Day which is a special day for us because we did an event last year for World AIDS Day. 
Um, so it's kind still of still in semi-lockdown, is it? Yeah, still yeah. in semi-lockdown. Yeah. So yeah, that was a bit mad. Um, and so it's going to be on. Event. Yeah, an outdoor <laughs> event. Oh, yeah, I wasn't shaming you. I in mean, December. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it was fine. It was fine. They were just closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't worry, we didn't break any rules. Yeah, actually, it's funny because you do see like a little kind of slight appearance of masks on it, but we were very safe. But yeah, um, so the film starts on December first, um, in the IFI. Um, it's then in uh, the lighthouse from the second. Um, it's in the gate in Cork from the second. Um, it opens in Palace in Galway on the first of December as well, and in Omniplex in Limerick on the first of December. Um, the style, the Stella in Ranla, um, is from the third of December. So yeah, we have um all the information's on our our Twitter and Instagram and. Um, yeah, it's it, it, we're adding kind of dates and locations all the time. So like this is the message, I suppose. Go and support Irish films, not yeah. just this film, but all Irish films, you I know, because it film. absolutely yeah. makes or breaks a film. I, I don't think people quite realize when they go and buy a ticket to a film, what difference it makes. Like if you have a good opening weekend, mm -hmm. you will get more dates immediately added and then your film stays on and then more people can see it and it grows and grows from there. Sure. And, you know, for small indie films, it's just... It's so crucial because if you if you don't have the numbers, if you don't do the numbers on the opening weekend, your film just won't stay in the cinema. So please do come out and come and see it. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in all of those cinemas, one after another. Yeah, just just yeah, travel yeah, around the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you guys so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you.